When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your Truthiest Life. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Haim, and we've got a great episode coming up this week with one of my dear friends. If you're on Instagram and in the wellness space, you're probably already following her. It's Cameron Rogers of Freckled Foodie, and I'm so excited to get into her story of how she changed careers and did a really big pivot away from the life she was kind of destined to and in and created one that is so different than what she was doing, but so better aligns with who she is. Anyway, little life update. I am back on social media on Instagram came back about two days ago from the time this episode goes live. And although I am back, I am coming back in a really different way. This break was a very different one than the ones I've taken in the past. Although I'm no stranger to social media detoxes and breaks from my phone in general, I can admit that looking back, I kind of return to Instagram and I do the same exact thing. And I get stuck in the same patterns. And before I know it, I'm kind of burnt out again and not feeling my best. And this last time, it's the longest time I've been off of Instagram, I think, I'm really thinking about what do I need today and recognizing that it's all a choice. It's a beautiful choice of how I want to show up, how often I want to show up, what I want to show up as. And 
I don't know. You know, it's always been a choice, but I think sometimes we think there's only one way to do something. And right now I'm really just recreating my reality after being on this app for so long, refiguring out what it looks like for me in this new stage of life and growth. And really, it's important for me to break free from all the shoulds, all the things that I think I should do in order to be successful on there. I am successful. I'm successful because I love what I do and I get to talk to different people all day via my different platforms. And perhaps it's not the most followers or the most money, but you know how I'm defining success these days is just that my energy is balanced. What I'm giving out to the world, I'm replenished by other things that I'm doing. And I think the giving out was a little bit too heavy for me for a while without recognizing that I wasn't replenishing enough. And I think in order to be here for the long game, and I do want to continue on Instagram and, and other social media platforms, which I'll get to in a second, I do need to be really conscious about what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. Really, the how is more important for me. So I'm excited to be growing and learning and tapping into my needs each day and really just becoming more more of myself more authentically as I really defy, I think, the norms that we've given to social media and content consumption in general. So that's where I'm at. Uh, we talked about TikTok a little last week. I mentioned some of my favorite TikTokers. And now I'm going to admit to you that I really have been loving making TikToks too. I haven't posted a lot of them. I'm saving them as drafts just because I didn't know when I wanted to, you know, have my big breakthrough into out into the TikTok world. But I'm enjoying like making my regular recipes that you always see me making for lunch or dinner. They're, they're not really recipes. They're just easy put together meals and making little videos out of them. And I've always enjoyed video creation when I, I haven't really kept up with my YouTube page in some time, but I've always enjoyed editing and things like that. And I find this to be really fun right now. So on TikTok, I'm at Lisa Haim. You can check me out there. Hopefully uh, you'll like what you see so far, at least. If not, stick around. I got good stuff coming, okay? Anyway, let's jump into this week's episode with my dear friend, Cameron. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. Today, I'm bringing on my good friend, Cameron Rogers, better known as The Freckled Foodie on Instagram. I'll link all of her information below. And Cameron is a food blogger, but she's really so much more than that. I've had the honor of being on her podcast, Freckled Foodie and Friends. So make sure to check that out, too. And kind of crazy because that was pre-pandemic life. So long ago, it feels like. That, yeah. So that was like almost a year, actually, of when we recorded. Scary enough. But you and I, we bought over all things dismantling diet culture, BS, body image, really trying to show up authentically and in real time. And you also just announced that you're pregnant. So congratulations. I'm so excited to have you as my guest. I'm so excited to be here. I, you know, I love you and I've loved your content for so long as we I'm sure we'll discuss. But I am so proud of this new podcast venture for you. You're so incredible at it. I love listening to it. It just brings such a smile to my face. I was like bopping around New York, binging the episodes the other day. You're a natural talent. Well, you've been a really big inspiration for me. I feel like we've kind of like reversed roles where... (laughs) We found an email that you wrote me in 2017 when you were a quote unquote follower. I had no idea who you were and you were asking me for help. And then, you know, fast forward 2020 and I'm asking you for help and looking (laughs) at you as my role model, because as we're going to get into it here, you don't follow blueprints. You really live your truthiest life. And that is a little intimidating, but also (laughs) important to recognize that 
there's inspiration laced in that intimidation. So I certainly look up to you. Have you ever Googled your name, by the way? Oh, my God. Thank you. Uh, no. Why? Oh, what comes up? Yeah. Here? So. Oh, this guy who. Yeah. Didn't he k- k- kill someone or something? Yeah. So your married yeah, name. Yeah, I did know that. Um, is getting a lot of SEO hits because Cameron Rogers, the male, <laughs> killed his parents. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I did know that. <laughs> I actually, I remember Googling myself for the first time after I got married to see like, oh, what comes up. And I'm a little like my, this is such an egotistical thing, but like all of my lacrosse articles obviously don't come oh, up. And yeah. like, I loved the fact that I had like pages of sports things <laughs> and you would Google my name and now they're just gone. Well, like, they're not just, just gone. No... They're replaced by the fact right. that people think that you're a killer. Because <laughs> the, the first thing I do when I have a guest on is I Google them because I I want to see where they've been featured, what they've spoken about, pick up on little things that I might not know or dive deeper into. So I'm like, well, this would be an interesting (laughs) angle to get into. I guess you got to add Freckled Foodie. Maybe that's why Instagram (laughs) won't freaking verify me because they think that that's the person when they Google my name. I thought I got it bad with Schlafmitz as my married name, but... (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, so it's no doubt that you're wicked smart. I never use that word wicked. It's very Boston, but I'm going to reserve it for you. And well, I love you. everyone can go follow you for your trade, which is recipes technically. Today, I want to talk to you about the pivotal moment that changed it all for you, both career-wise and life-wise, and how the event plus yourself, you being you, played a key role in being a change that happened after an unfortunate event. So you refer mm-hmm. to life as pre and post. So there's yeah. pre Cameron and post Cameron, right? Yes. And it's funny, actually, I almost called the pre as Cammy mm. because I mean, I go simultaneously, like people in my life still call me Cammy. Your mom does, like right? The name. Yeah. I mean, most of the people in my personal life do call me Cammy. I wanted to go by Cameron when I started working postgraduate at JP. But I had interned there before and everyone was like, what? No, you can't just go by Cameron. And in typical trading floor manner, they took that and then decided to just call me Ron Ron for Cam Ron. <laughs> and so no one called me anything but Ronnie or Ron Ron. So it really backfired on me. But when I started this account, I was like, you know what? F it. I can go by Cameron now. So my friends joke, which we'll get into, but they're like, Cammy was this like hard bitch who didn't show her emotions and never cried. And Cameron's this like emotional, open, loving person. I've had a hell of a change personally, and I do credit a lot of it to that moment that you referenced. So I did want to know about who Camia, I guess, was before this. Oh, we can dive into that, too. So what was your life like before? And then we're going to talk about the event and how it transitioned you. So who is Cammy or Ron Ron? <laughs> okay. Who's well, Ron Ron? Ron, oh God, Ron Ron's a whole different character. Ron Ron got paid $400 on Halloween to eat a five-year-old chocolate covered marshmallow that we found in my desk. That's who Ron Ron is. <laughs> That's basically the trading floor in like a nutshell. Growing up, I was very like highly and tightly wound. I was an anxious person. I didn't have the vocabulary or knowledge to put verbiage to my emotions. Reflecting back, it's very clear that I struggled very much with anxiety, but I am a high performing anxious person. And so I was always given accolades and awarded for my behavior and then encouraged for the behavior without anyone realizing what was happening on the inside. And with that, I also, I mean, this stays true in like my current stage, but I speak what's on my mind. 
and I cannot fake anything, which is honestly something I struggled with a ton during my first trimester of pregnancy with Instagram because I've never felt like I had to force myself to show up on Instagram or in any aspect of my life. I do think I show up in my truest, most honest self and form. And at that point, I obviously wasn't announcing I was pregnant and I felt awful, but I was trying to hide it. And so I've always been very like this is me. This is what you're getting. This is how I feel. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Even my facial reactions are very clear. Like, you know how I feel. And I think I took it to a certain extent growing up and it definitely got me in a lot of trouble because, you know, I think back on like middle school and high school and I didn't have the best reputation. And it's something that still scares me of like people coming out of the woodworks being like, oh, that Cammy. Well, she did this to me when I was young, but I really just couldn't hide what I was thinking. And I find still that if someone is like all kind and nice and fake to you in your face and then they're rude to you behind your back, I find that more mean than someone just being like, listen, we don't really like each other. We don't agree on things. That's fine. We don't have to act like we're friends. For sure. Like there's no need for that in my opinion. I've definitely softened. I was just very hard. I, I think that's the only way to say it. Like I was very competitive, very intense and just like a hard exterior. And my dad will say, he said this in our wedding speech that I feel emotions very hard. I love very hard and I hate very hard. And it's true. And I think I just kind of at that age, let it get the best of me because I didn't know how to manage my emotions and I didn't know how to really work through them or pay attention to them or actually like dive into why I was feeling a certain way. I was very reactive and I still definitely can be. I haven't fully worked through this, especially with my family. I'm the most reactive with them specifically my mom and my dad. And COVID definitely put that under a microscope when I was living with them. I felt like I reverted back to my teenage self, which is very common, I think. And I think reflecting back, there was just a lot of uncertainty and just no clarity of the underlying issues. And it just came out as like, I'm going to protect myself. I don't want to be emotional. I don't want to be hurt. So I'm just going to be hard. Right. Okay. So yeah, there's like elements of that that ring true. And I think come through and I and we all like that that comes through for you. You know, you do speak what's on your mind. You're still true and honest and would probably tell somebody if your friendship isn't working out because of whatever reasons. But it's not to hurt the other person. It's because you need to protect you. And I think that's the important factor here. And when it came to work, what was your work life like? Other than eating the old marshmallow. <laughs> when I, gra- that was a highlight of my career, not gonna lie. I came home and I was like, I made $500 today for eating a piece of candy. <laughs> I was like, where do you work? <laughs> I started right out of college at JP Morgan in sales and trading. When I was in college, I was an economics major at a small liberal arts school. I really wanted to be a sports broadcaster because I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to have a microphone. Like that was my dream and I loved sports. So that was what I kind of thought could connect the two. I never wanted to be an actress or anything. I wanted to be like myself. Mm -hmm. And I had applied to like Fox Sports, NBC Sports, ESPN, everything. And my mom at lunch one day was like, you know what? She had worked in investment banking. My dad works in finance. She's like, I think you should also just apply somewhere in the finance industry. You're an economics major. I was doing really well in school. And sales and trading really caters to athletes, if we're being honest. It's very similar to playing a sport. I said, fine, I'll apply to one sales and trading program. And being the brat I was, I was like, if I'm going to apply to one, I'll just apply to the best. 
if I don't get it, that's fine. I'll work in sports broadcasting, but I'll just check this box off for my mom. Well, I ended up getting that internship, which is incredible. And I interned there for two summers and then I ended up working there full time. Honestly, I thrived in the environment. I'm not even going to lie. It was fast paced. It was intense. It was team oriented. It was so competitive. It was like one big locker room and my personality really, really fit well. Like I was the one that was constantly running around the training floor asking, like I was talking to people 24 seven. I loved conversing with everyone. I definitely wasn't the best in knowledge on the product I was selling, but I had incredible relations with my clients and the traders and other salespeople. And I loved it in the beginning. I really did. And I was doing incredibly well. And it just hit this point where I started to realize there's a bit of a plateau when it comes to the learning curve. I was incredibly anxious and I don't think I realized, you know, I say that when you work in finance, you kind of have these blinders on and you forget that the rest of the world exists and matters. And all you focus on is the money and the fast pace and the intensity. And my dad has worked in finance his entire life and took a year off between where he is now and where he was for a while. And during that year, it was the same time I quit my job. And I remember having a conversation with him and he's like, wow, this is just wild. Like, I didn't know that people like didn't speed walk everywhere or like <laughs> curse out a line that took five minutes to get lunch. Or like, it was just such a different mentality that I really can't even describe in, unless you're in it and you, you can understand that feeling of everything has to be instant. Otherwise it's a waste of time. Mm -hmm. And for me, once I realized there was a bit of a plateau in the learning curve, I was also dealing with a ton of GI issues. And with that, I was dealing with elimination diets. That's when I started my account. And I realized that like during the day, if we had slow time on the trading floor, I was going on mind, body, green, well and good, infatuation, eater. I wasn't looking at Wall Street Journal or Barron's. And that was my first, what I call red flag. But someone on my podcast actually recently corrected me. I was like, that's kind of a green flag. Like, hello, this is what I care about, which I love. So I'm going to continue with that. And so that for me was one big thing of maybe I'm doing the wrong thing, but my job was so wrapped up in my ego. I loved telling people that I worked there. I loved telling adults that I worked there. I feel like I gained the respect right away. This sounds so disgusting to say, but it's true. Like I loved being out at a bar. And if you're talking to like a guy that your friend's hitting on or something and I'm like, oh, where do you work? And they're like, finance. And they refuse to like say what they actually do. I was like, oh, me too. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I don't know. It was such an egotistic thing for me. And I made really good money and I couldn't fathom letting go of the paycheck and the life that it brought me. Just to stop you, I wouldn't call it an egotistical move. I think it was just an easy way to pull up a chair at a table that they didn't think you would understand. True. You know, so it was just an easy ticket. Yeah. I mean, the the male thing, yeah, was a little bit like, oh, okay, you think you're so much better than right. me. Like, take a fucking seat. Yeah. But the adult thing really was mm -hmm. like, it was wrapped up in ego, just a sense of pride. And even when I quit, I had such a hard time being like, well, what do I say I do now? And Joe and I were on our honeymoon and someone asked what we did because we were talking to another couple. And I was like, oh, well, I used to work at JP Morgan for five years. Now I do this. Joe's like, why do you have to start with that? Like, just say what you do. Mm -hmm. You should be proud of what you're doing. You're more than what you used to do, which is so true. But yeah, I mean, my time there was incredible. I wouldn't change it for the world. I think it definitely affected me more mentally than I realized and didn't have the greatest impact on me. And it took time to kind of unravel that mindset and those characteristics, but it did shape me in some incredible ways as well and helped me ultimately get to where I am now. So I am eternally grateful for that. And so you were working, maybe not crazy hours because you're 
on market hours, right? Mm-mm. No? Yeah, it was like 6.30 to 5.30, so not bad at all. Well, in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but intensely. It, those oh, hours yeah. are I mean, intense. obviously, there were some days where the markets were dead and I felt like I was doing nothing. And then there are days where I couldn't eat lunch or I couldn't go to the bathroom or like you felt like you couldn't leave your desk. So yes, they were very intense. Right. So very intense hours and anything that's not making money for the most part in that world, in most worlds, but specifically in the market world is considered just a waste of time. So a line on yeah. the you know chopped lo- salad line is I don't have time for this. I'm oh, 100%. too good for this. And it's interesting that you and your dad got to kind of take that off together and see the world from another perspective and recognize what that rushed experience feels like or what it feels like to not have that rushed experience. Yeah. And even like conversing with people. I I remember my mom, I used to get mad at her. I'm like, what are you saying? Say it faster. Like, why are you taking so long? She's like, Cameron, I'm just trying to talk to you. Like, not everything has to be too worded and fast and to the point. But that's just the mentality that is ingrained in you on the trading floor. Yeah. Yeah. Every time this is unrelated, but my dad, whenever I drive in the left lane, if I drive in the right lane, he's like, get in the left lane. Like, let's go faster. You should see me drive. Yeah. Which one I are you? Left, left lane. lane. Left lane. Oh, left lane. Are you kidding? My mom's like, you're going too fast. I'm like, why <laughs> would I waste this time? And I'm like, dad, we get more time together. You know, so I mean, he's my dad never <laughs> has never taken a step back to recognize the joys of life, what I call in the right lane. And I wish he yeah. would for just a moment. But I have seen what left lane life looks like because mm-hmm. my dad was driving my whole life. This is an analogy. And somewhere right. along the way, I realized what that did to my nervous system and said, this is not the life for me. I want to be near this life. I appreciate this life, but I need a slower path in order to be healthy. So anyway, Mm -hmm. it sounds like while you were working, you also started Freckle Foodie. Yes and no. I mean, yes, I started this Instagram account, but it was honestly because my friends were getting sick of me texting them photos of my meals. And I also thought that like I was following all these New York food porn accounts and I was spending all this money at my favorite restaurants. I'm like, maybe if I started a food account, I'd get free meals. So it wasn't as if I wanted to be a personality on Instagram and have this large following. And when I started the account, I didn't tell anyone in my life. I didn't show my face for basically the first year. Like it was very food focused. I never would talk even in the stories, even if the camera wasn't on me. My little sister was like, the second you talk to your camera, I'm deactivating your phone. I was like, I would never do that. Now it's all I do. But it was just so different. So yes, I had started this account, but I wasn't doing anything with brands. It was really me showing what I was meal prepping for myself and all of my friends that I was cooking for on the weekend. Your sister's younger than you, right? I have two. I have an older and a younger, but yes, I'm referencing the younger one. Yeah. So the younger generations have like a very different take on influencing and typical influencers. And they, a lot of them don't see it as cool or normal. And I, yeah. even though now your brand is kind of built off talking to the camera, which we all love, yes, you speak to younger generations in a way that I feel I, I'm a little out of touch with. Oh my God. Thank you. Yeah. Cause you know that. Well, like, I, I really want to be Gen Z. Yeah, you're good at obviously your TikTok so exploded. Are you still doing TikTok? Uh, rarely. I've, I've been off of it for the past few months because it just overwhelms me. Still, that content's evergreen. So it's available for you yes. to follow. It's Freckled <laughs> Foodie too, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So Freckle Foodie is kind of just this fun little account you have where you follow what interests you. People don't know about it. You're not trying to make money off of it. Maybe get a free meal if you're lucky. And your job is really driving the day and you're 
the way I, yes. I, I don't even need to ask you to know that your schedule looks like you wake up at 5 a.m. This is pre-2018. Mm-hmm. You wake up at 5 a.m. You get a workout in before you even hit the shower. Yep. It was 4.30, wake up, 5 a.m. berries. Oh, my God. I'm nauseous. But then it, then we pushed it back a little bit. And then it was like 5.30, 5.45 gym. Like, because I, I was able to get into the office a little bit later as I got a little older. Oh. But yes, insanity to think back on. So by the time you get to your desk by 6, you've already accomplished so much. You Then you go right into the oh intensity. God, what I do now by like 11. Right. So the, the cortisol, yes. you know, the stress hormone from the second you woke up to really 6 p.m., so a full 12, 13 hours mm-hmm. was just crazy. And then, you know, you yeah. the finance world, you then go out for happy hour and then you go to a mm-hmm. nice dinner and then repeat cycle, right? Like, is that the yep. life? Yeah, got it. Oh, yeah, that was the life. That was the life. <laughs> so then in, in March of 2018, you had a weird schedule day. Tell us about that day yes. because it didn't start with working out as it normally would. No, with the schedule that I was doing and I was, you know, I had this account on the side, but I was working my butt off at work and I was doing really, really well. I had just gotten like one of the biggest accounts on the desk. I was in this program of the top 10 associates in all of sales and trading. Like I really had a great career path ahead of me, but I just wasn't happy. And I had enrolled in IIN virtually because I just wanted to learn more about my health. I never really thought I'd be a health coach. And we had just gotten engaged. And so I was doing so much. Like I literally didn't rest for a minute of any day, even on the weekends. I was cooking meals for all of my friends. And I remember saying when everyone asked like, oh my God, are you so stressed between work, Freckle Foodie, the wedding planning? I'm like, you know what? I'm just... I feel like I'm sprinting with a blindfold on and I know at some point I'm going to hit a wall. I just have no idea when it's coming. So I'm going to keep running. And I said that so many times to multiple people because it's true. It's how I felt. I knew that there was going to be a moment Mm -hmm. where I hit something and crashed, but I just was, you know, until I hit that moment, let's keep going because go, go, go is all I knew. I knew one speed and quite literally I didn't hit a wall, but a car hit me. So that day that you reference, it was Friday, March 2nd, I believe. And I didn't work out in the morning. I don't remember if I had something the night before or why, because I did usually always work out in the morning. And I never went to, if I didn't work out in the morning, I just didn't work out. Like I never went to classes after work. I was so drained. I had no energy. The second I would get out of the office, I just wanted to get home or if I had something else going on, especially on a weekend, this was never something I would have done. But one of my close friends who is a yoga instructor who I love and is like kind of one of my healers in the space. She was doing one of the first classes on opening day of the new Skyting in Brooklyn. So the combination of me going to work out after work, which never happened, going to work out after work on a Friday, which truly has never happened, and then going to Brooklyn, it was like, who the hell? This person was not me. And I actually remember I took a video of me going there. It was a snowstorm. And I was like, my mom was like, You're, I feel so guilty for her that you posted this, but you know. There was, she was not involved in any of this, but I was like, Beth is the only person I would travel to Brooklyn in a snowstorm for. And it's me like trekking through the snow. So I get off the subway and I'm walking to the studio and I jaywalk all the time. I start with that. Like I'm not the best at paying attention to road rules. I kind of cross whenever I'm here for the road rules either. Yeah. Like obviously I look, but still Mm. like in New York, no, everyone jaywalks. And at this moment, I literally did not have my phone out because it was, my hands were freezing. I actually went to a crosswalk. The walk sign was on, like I was doing everything right. And this I think plays a huge role in how this shifted my mind. Set, but 
I was doing everything right and I had the walk sign and I start to cross and I had my big like Canada goose fur hood on, but I had still looked both ways and I had air piles in, which I actually think helped me. And a car came flying down the parallel street and they had a green light, mm-hmm. obviously, because I had the walk sign. Would have been totally fine had they keep going straight, but he turned left and just didn't see me and didn't stop until he hit my body. Mm-hmm. So I did not hear the car, which actually I think helped me because I never froze and I never turned towards the noise. Mm-hmm. So he, and I'm sorry, mommy, if you're listening, she hates this story. He ended up hitting the right side of my body and I flew onto the car and hit my head on his windshield and then flew onto the ground and hit my head on the other side on the cement. Mm -hmm. I remember just like, you know, I didn't see anything. So all of a sudden I was on the ground. I looked up and there were headlights and I immediately jumped up because I thought this person's going to drive over me. Like, I just didn't know what happened. Mm -hmm. And I jump up and this guy, he's really like about my age, dressed in like a suit, I remember, gets out of the car. He's freaking out because the street was not well lit. It was snowing really hard. I'm in all black. People make mistakes. Mm -hmm. I have no blame or hard feelings towards him. Mm -hmm. I actually like thank him a lot in a weird way. And I remember him getting out of the car and just being like, holy shit, holy shit. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, are you okay? Like panicking, which obviously I would have done the same if I were him. And it was so instinct in me to be like, let me make sure this man's okay. I'm fine. That I was like, oh my God, I'm fine. Don't worry, don't worry. It's okay, I promise. Like, it's fine. And he's like, should we call an ambulance? And I just like, quite honestly, didn't want to get in an ambulance and go to some random hospital in Brooklyn. I didn't want to pay for an ambulance. And to be quite frank, I thought I was still going to yoga. I'm a block away from the studio. It's literally right there. I see it. I think I'm still going to class. Like I'm fine. My body feels fine. I stood up. I'm good. That's just a crazy thing that will have happened to me. And he's like, do you want to call someone? And my AirPods had flown out of my ears. I remember grabbing them on the sidewalk. I put them back in and I called Joe. And it wasn't until I said, like, I've been hit by a car because I was in such shock Mm. that I started hysterically crying. And he's like, what do you mean? Where are you? What's going on? And I was like, I'm in Brooklyn. I just got hit by a car. Like, I'm okay. But I'm kind of, I guess, like, in shock because now I'm hysterically crying. And he obviously wanted to come to me, but to get to Brooklyn on a Friday night in an Uber can take a long time in the snow. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to go to a hospital in Brooklyn. So I'm like, I feel like I should just come to you. So the guy ends up pulling his car to the side of the road and walks me into the yoga studio because my friend is the instructor. And I'm like, can you just walk me into the studio? I'll get your information and like, you know, whatever. And I didn't want to call the police because I felt badly for him. And like, I got really close to him to smell if he smelled like alcohol and he was like really sweet. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I didn't want to make a huge thing out of it. Not that I feel like he would have gotten in a lot of trouble, but I don't know. I get into the studio and I'm all of a sudden hysterically crying and Beth kind of sits on this couch with me. And it was in that moment where I'm like, okay, my leg feels fine. The side of my body feels fine. I'm definitely going to be bruised, but my head is killing me. And I've had five concussions before this. So I know what they feel like. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I have a concussion. And I now I'm starting to get slowly this like contusion on the side of my head that's raised and starting to bruise. And so I call my mom who love her to death. She actually is very good in like times of crisis, but it's also like panic. Mm -hmm. She's efficient, but in like in a panic way. So she's freaking out. And I end up just calling an Uber and taking an Uber to the hospital next to our apartment in the West Village and just staying on the phone with my mom and Joe the entire time. And so I get to the hospital, Joe meets me there. And honestly, I was just kind of like, you know what? I have a concussion. I've had these before. It's fine. I only had, I'd one really bad one in sixth grade, but the other ones I had were just kind of minor. 
And I saw a doctor and they did an x-ray of my body just to be sure everything was fine and my leg and everything. And they did, I think, an uh, MRI, I forget which one, of my brain. And it looked fine. And so we went home. And I remember the doctor being like, okay, do you want me to give you like a letter of sorts so that you can give it to your boss because you shouldn't go to work for like the next few days. And I remember thinking like, fuck yeah, I don't want to go to work on Monday. Like, (laughs) awesome. (laughs) And little did I know how long that was going to be. And so the next morning, I actually remember we got home, ate Mighty Quinn through dinner, and I just got in bed. And the next morning, I woke up and I got out of bed as if like forgetting it had happened. I turn on all the lights, I start making my water, and the world feels like it's crashing down on my head. And I called my primary care doctor crying hysterically. Like, I've never felt like this. I can't function. Like, my my head hurts so badly. So we rushed in to get a CT scan because there are fears of, you know, potential bleeds that can happen overnight. Mm-hmm. And then it really just turned into a really long recovery. Concussions take a long time. And that's something I'm happy to get into further because that was really difficult for me because there's no end date when you have a concussion. Um, and I ended up being on disability from work for two months, wow. which definitely could have gone on longer if I had allowed myself to actually pay attention to my symptoms. There's a lot to kind of unpack there. Your physical body going through something so immense. And I feel like it's easy to also just kind of chalk it up to a physical injury and when's it going to be over? And at the same time, there's this emotional injury that comes on because, totally. I mean, of course, there's body image stuff, but there's also just your body being this thing that connects you to the earth and you kind of don't even recognize what it does every day. And then all of a sudden a car hits it. And there's many people I know who have been hit by a car. And I just feel like it just shapes the way you, I would think, does it shape the way it feels to be in your body after that. Yes. And there are so many reasons why this moment changed my life. And you just hit the nail on the head with one of them. And one main one, and I mentioned this of like, this is why I mentioned that I jaywalk all the time, but this time I was doing everything right, is that it changed my mindset on control Mm -hmm. because I always thought that I controlled my life and I control everything. And I'm a control freak or recovering control freak. And this put everything in perspective of like, I did everything in my control and life still had a plan for me. Even though I was doing everything right, it doesn't matter. Shit happens and you can't control everything. And the second thing is like when I was going through specifically the recovery period, I kind of relate it back to when you're sick and you have a cold and you're laying in bed and you think, oh my God, what would it feel like to be able to breathe again? I just want to be able to breathe and I will never take it for granted. And then every other day of your life, when you go to bed and you're breathing, you don't even think about it. And so during that two month period, all I wanted to do was be able to go on a 10 block walk. And pre-accident, I was a little obsessive with exercising and my workouts always had to be better than the one before. And if it wasn't X amount of miles at X amount of pace, it was a waste, quote unquote. And this really put everything in perspective for me where I was like, I will never take a workout for granted again in my life. And I promised myself that. And I really think I've stayed true to that where whatever my body is capable of doing in that moment, I'm grateful for. And I think we're so focused on critiquing our body and ripping it apart and complaining about it instead of being grateful to the fact that we're able-bodied. It's a massive privilege that we all just totally forget about. Mm. The fact that we can get out of bed every day, the fact that we can walk somewhere we want to, we can do these workouts, Mm -hmm. we can get into a building without needing assistance. It's huge. And it just gave me this new appreciation for my body. And mentally, as you mentioned, it was definitely 
almost as equal of a mental injury as it was as a physical injury. I suffered from definite PTSD. I saw a specific therapist for that. For the following months, I would, I'd wake up in the middle of the night absolutely clenching my fists and my teeth and just so I was like reliving the accident in my mind almost. And I definitely had visceral reactions if I was walking at night and I saw car beams coming mm-hmm. towards me. And I still, every once in a while, the first snow of the year is triggering for me if I'm walking at night. So there was absolutely a mental aspect that was also wrapped up in the accident, which I worked through a lot with professional help and I still mentally work through, you know, it's not something just disappears. Are you tired of your scented cleaning products smelling and cleaning like meh? Then it's time for an upgrade with the power of Clorox Sentiva. With an uplifting scent that smells like coconut, Clorox Sentiva gives you powerful clean like Clorox, but a feeling like <sighs> being transported to a tropical island retreat. Imagine putting your phone on Do Not Disturb, tuning out all the constant, just the feeling of warm sand in between your toes and a fruity drink in your hand. The ones with the little umbrella. Refresh your home to feel like an all-inclusive vacation by getting Clorox Sentiva. Also available in grapefruit and lavender scents at a nearby retail store. Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like literally. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to? Especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection. We're talking UPF 50. And it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. Columbia PFG has you covered with their Castback TC shoe. Its OmniMax cushioning and traction system helps if you're on your feet a lot, say, fighting a fish. Not to mention keeping you sure-footed on a wet, rocking boat. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head over to Columbia.com PFG and shop all their performance fishing gear. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. You know, in the beginning, you you had said that you developed this hard exterior to protect yourself. And meanwhile, your hard yep. exterior, you know, couldn't protect you. But I think the car was kind of the thing that, quote unquote, broke you, but it softened totally. you. It actually softened you where some people might actually put on an even harder layer. And that layer might look like even more control, which would have ended up limiting your life. You know, of course, mm-hmm. dealing with that PTSD is hard, but you're still working through it. OK, the first snow is triggering. You know, that's going to be triggering. 
doesn't yeah. mean you're not going to go outside on that day, or maybe it does, but right. you continue to live your life and let go a little bit more, which allowed for the opportunities that you know we witness every day on your story. So I want to know mm-hmm. emotionally, you know, there's the physical recovery, the mental recovery, and then the emotional. Two months every day at home, very different from your 4.30 a.m. workout to, you know, yes. crossing off the things that happen all day. Emotionally, every moment of that day must have been painful or was it not? Mm-hmm. What was it like to emotionally process and how did you? And I do want to reference when you mentioned the PTSD of like, you maybe you don't leave the apartment. I still love snow so much. It's just the first one if I'm at night, but I did have to sell my Canada goose. That for me was like, I can't wear it anymore. And I ended up having to sell it. Like this just, it's too triggering for me. Emotionally, those two months were so interesting for me. And it was unlike anything I've ever experienced because as you mentioned, my life was so go, go, go and scheduled and driven and goal oriented. And I was in a place where I couldn't be on my cell phone. I couldn't be on my computer. Mm. I could only watch TV. I basically had the brightness. Like you couldn't even see the scenes. It was so dark. Joe would come over and watch TV at night. He'd be like, I I can't see anything, Cammie. I'm like, well, I can't have it any brighter. Like the TV was so dark. I couldn't read. Like everything was very triggering for my headaches and post-concussion symptoms. So quite honestly, all I could do was sit on my couch and listen to podcasts. I binged podcasts and books on tape. I journaled a lot and I I actually have my old journals, which I love to read through this that time period because it was incredibly reflective and insightful and really turned inward more than I ever had before. And I still journal every day. I love journaling. But at that moment, it really changed a lot for me and speak to people on the phone and reflect. And this is also when, which I think in a weird way, like I think this is all intertwined. My very good group of girlfriends had all gone to this in-person meditation school school in New York called Ziva Meditation. And they had all been telling me that I needed to do it and that it would help my anxiety so much. And I was so like, typical New York. I'm too busy for anything Mm -hmm. else. I'm way too busy and important for meditation. Are you kidding? You think I have 20 minutes to spare in the morning? Like, do you know me? And I had signed up for the January course and the February course and canceled because I was like, sorry, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. My life's too important. And I had signed up for the March one and I had really blocked off my calendar. I promised my girlfriends that I would go. And it was the week after the accident. And I probably would have gotten out of it, to be totally honest. I would have made plans and been like, can't go. Sorry, guys. Like, I'll try it again next time. But I had obviously no plans. And I called my neurologist and I said, do you feel comfortable with me going to this? Like, Joe will Uber me there and back. And it's really just me sitting in a kind of dimly lit room listening to a woman speak and meditating. And he's like, honestly, I can't think of anything better for you. (laughs) So that's when I learned my meditation practice. And I've only missed one day of meditating since that day. So it was integral in everything that happened. And it played a huge role in the change of my life. Were you journaling before this event? I think I had a journal, but I don't think actively I was using it. And for people that maybe don't journal um, or are foreign to the concept, for you, it sounds like journaling is just kind of open forum. Do you have prompts? Do you just... So in in that moment, it was just open forum and I would do it every single morning. It's almost like my dad was a psychologist early in his career and he used to study dreams. And so he always told me because I have very vivid dreams. Mm -hmm. He used to tell me that he would keep a dream journal and it helps you actually continue to remember them even deeper. If you wake up in the morning and you just journal about what you dreamed about, Mm -hmm. it builds that strength in your mind. And so 
I started first doing that. And then I would just dump my feelings onto the journal, anything I was feeling, just to kind of release that space from me first thing in the morning. Then there were moments where like, if I got to a yoga class early, I would start journaling during this time because it was more like, and I, I can send you some of them. I have them all. It's like me reflecting on whether I should quit my job and do Freckle Foodie full time mm-hmm. and how I should, how this has shaped my life. And, you know, I journaled a thank you letter to the guy that hit me. Like it was, that was more purposeful journaling, not necessarily a prompt, but there was a purpose to it. Now, every morning I have a structure where I'll write down three things I'm grateful for, three affirmations three things I'm manifesting, and then like a few sentences of free journaling of just how I'm feeling. Okay. And that's really helpful, I think, for somebody listening to kind of take home if a brain dump feels a little overwhelming. Although brain dumps, I think, are super important. In one of your blog posts, you wrote a bunch of lessons that came from the intense journaling that you did while you were powered down because you couldn't use your cell phone and Mm -hmm. technology. And one of them that I loved a lot was you said, the world will continue to go on even if you slow down. And I love this one because I think it really reminds us of the pressure we feel or put on or society puts on to perform, to keep going, to go very quickly and taking a step back, recognizing that the world turns on without us. You know, you kind of called it harsh in your blog post about it. But every time Mm -hmm. I hear that, And right after the harshness, after the stinging goes away, I feel humbled from it. I love that I'm actually not that important. But what's interesting from that is somebody might take that and say, well, if the world goes on without me, well, then maybe I shouldn't really do anything for my life. But you (laughs) kind of saw that (laughs) in the opposite light where it said, you know, light, your main takeaway you wrote was life is short. Why the hell wouldn't you do what I love? And I knew this is you speaking. I knew exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but fear was benching my dreams to the sideline. After many journaling sessions, laugh all you want, but if you're contemplating something serious in your life, I cannot suggest this enough. Conversations with my parents, sisters, fiance, and reading a handful of inspiring books, I knew what I had to do. It was time to put myself first, tell the fear to take a seat and follow my dreams. So what would you tell somebody who is in a situation where they're getting those green flags, as you called them, Mm -hmm. of something else calling their name, but they're scared to take the leap. And, you know, not everybody needs to wait for the life altering event, that obvious sign of things shaking it up. But what would be the first steps that you'd tell somebody about how to find clarity? Because I also just want to kind of say here that sometimes it might be the opposite. Maybe you're in a more freelance situation and you need a little bit more structure for your personality. So how do you find clarity on whatever that you need when it comes to a career? So I think there's so much that goes into this and I actually get a lot of DMs asking me for career advice and I think it's so difficult to give general advice because everyone's in such a different situation. There is one thing that I always, always like to preface this conversation with is that I come from a very privileged background and that played a massive role in allowing me to do this and it can't be not acknowledged because if I got on here and was like, everyone go do what you want to do and follow your dreams. Unfortunately, not all of us have the privilege or opportunity to do that. And so I do just like to acknowledge that it did play a role and allowed me to be where I am today. That doesn't take away from the fact that I worked really freaking hard, but it obviously played a role. And 
for me, I would say if you're con- contemplating switching careers, whether it's going out of the corporate world or potentially into the corporate world, I had so many conversations with people in so many realms of career types and spaces. And I would always ask, what do you love about your career and what do you wish you could change? And you should know those answers about yourself as well, because there were things I loved about my job at JP Morgan. I loved that it was team oriented. I did love that there were checklists for things to me to check off. I didn't love the product. I didn't love at this moment, the intensity and the fast pace and the being kind of like locked into my desk and the no flexibility. But I think it's really important to know your strengths and how that can kind of flourish in other realms. And, you know, I struggled a lot when I first started doing Freckled Foodie full time because it was really lonely and I didn't realize how much I valued having a team and colleagues and people to speak to all day. And that was something I never, or I just definitely took for granted. I also took for granted the stability of a job and things like benefits, especially now as I'm pregnant, like I have no idea. I have to figure out what my maternity leave looks like. Mm. So there were so many things I took for granted, but I think really having the conversations with people in your life about their careers and their jobs and what they're doing and what they love about them. And then really taking the time to reflect on like yourself. And this is where journaling comes into play mm-hmm. of like really writing out your strengths. I've done this so many times. What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Like what are my best attributes when it comes to work related things? And for so long I thought, well, I'm in sales and trading and it's not a very transferable job. So I either have to stay in this job for the rest of my life or do sales and trading at a different company. And in reality, there are so many personal attributes that helped me succeed there that would help me succeed in many other different realms. Sure, they're not typical career attributes of like, I'm a whiz at Excel or I know these different platforms, but it's like, I'm really good with clients and I'm a good salesperson and things like that, that do transfer. I mean, look, influencing is all sales. So it's like very comparable, even though I didn't think that this is what I'd be doing. Interesting. So I really think, yeah, I think assessing what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, and then listing out a few things that you really want from a career. Like, do you want stability? That's really important. I wish I had more of it, to be honest. Mm -hmm. And that's not always going to equal the freelance, follow your dreams, start your own company. And that's totally fine. I think sometimes this general, we've almost like glorified it to this point where everyone feels they need to do it. That's why I kind of like, you know, I said either way, I feel like boss, babe, girl, boss, and all that stuff has gotten so out of hand where it's like that's, Mm -hmm. or side hustling. Like you could also just be happy with your, with a nine to five in corporate world. So that's I like to just shuttle that conversation both ways, like whatever it is. Absolutely. And then I think just like speaking to the people close in your life and also asking them, what do you think my biggest strengths are? What do you think my biggest weaknesses are? Like, I'm very fortunate that both of my parents are incredibly open and reflective with me on my personality, but also they're very career driven. They've had amazing careers. They're bright, they're brilliant, they're smart, and they are willing to have these conversations with me. So I had plenty of conversations with my parents of like, what do you think I'd be good at? What do you think I need to work on? Like, where do you think I would fit in best? And same with my husband and close friends and finding people that can openly reflect on your personality as well, I think would be really helpful. 
Would you say, though, that sometimes these people, I'd say family, at least in my opinion, like may not understand what you want to do and therefore kind of take it with a grain of salt? I mean, it depends on everyone's situation. Yes. If they don't, if they're not there to support you, take it with a grain of salt. I was in a place where there was definitely a shell shock aspect Mm -hmm. of like, wait, you're doing what? And more honestly, surprisingly from my mom, because I think there was a lot wrapped up in she sees so much of herself in me and she left the corporate world to be a full-time mother. And there are tons of emotions mixed up in that for her of whether she left too early. And so I think she was kind of putting a lot of that on me, which was obvious for me to spot. However, once she kind of got over that, they were incredibly supportive from the beginning and now are quite literally my biggest cheerleaders. I love that. I was, the reason I mentioned it was because I had an Instagram account before the word influencer existed and I had like 500 mm-hmm. followers and that was a lot. Like this is how long ago it was. Yeah. And I remember my brother and my dad being like, there is no way that this will ever be able to be monetized. And me thinking- right. and it's so confusing for people. Well, this was before the word influencer right. existed. It wasn't a thing. And me thinking, well, my dad's a really good businessman. My brother's the smartest person I know. They must be right. And I wonder if they said something a little bit different that day where my career would have gone in the early days. So I think sometimes, especially when it comes to the future, older people, even if they're a handful of years older, might not understand the future as well as somebody. No, I agree. So that's very you obviously have different type of family in that way who really like, you know, they just keep putting the platform under you no matter where you are. That's the way I see it. I could be wrong. And they just keep like supporting (laughs) you and supporting you. And I think that's what also like your throat, meaning your voice. It sounds like no matter what you're saying, they've always been behind you to be like, say it, even if they don't agree, which is, I don't know, in hopes of having a family one day, something that I would like to do for my family so that they always feel free to express themselves, even if it might be something that I don't understand or agree with. Yes, I grew up in a very open, open. I mean, I would speaking my mind not and you know, there were negatives to this. We would fight like cats and dogs in my house because we would just say anything. And like, I remember the fights I used to get in with my parents when I was in high school, screaming, cursing them off, being like, like I don't know who I thought I was, but it was just somehow like allowed in our house. Yeah. I was never grounded once in my life, but we were always, you know, encouraged to speak our mind. Unfortunately, a lot of times it wasn't what they wanted to hear, I don't think. But yes, they are very encouraging. Of You know, if you feel something, say it. We had such different upbringings, which so much no it's so much makes sense as to like who we are and the parts about you that I admire so much is because of that free form and I think that's just beautiful to to see so your now husband he kind of got a different wife after this accident totally so he was he proposed to Cammy and then he married Cameron (laughs) so is he happy about this upgrade or does he see it as an upgrade now you talk about your emotions you cry (laughs) is this some you know before that he had this tough athlete now you're a soft athlete you know what is he oh I'm like barely an athlete I don't know if I can even use that word to describe myself anymore yes so it's so funny because he he shares a lot of my characteristics we've been together for 
now we actually just had our 13 year dating anniversary, which he's like, we have to stop celebrating this cameo. It doesn't like we got married mm. this date. And I was like, this thing will always mean something to me, Joe. We're not doing anything. I'm just saying, oh my God, it's been 13 yeah. years. So we've been together for 13 years. So he definitely has seen, we've both seen each other grow up. I'm so grateful for our relationship for so many reasons, but we really allow each other to evolve and grow. And I think that's so important when it comes to a relationship. And obviously we hope to be growing on parallel paths headed in the right direction, but we never want to hold each other back. And I struggled a lot, honestly, post accident with like, oh my God, Joe, like this must be so difficult for you. I felt such like levels of guilt Mm -hmm. almost because I felt that he had almost signed up for someone different. And it wasn't what I'm saying in the emotional shifts I was having, but more we were party people. And I used to love getting drunk and going out. And, you know, we were in our 20s. We were, New York like was our oyster. And post-concussion, I couldn't really be in loud restaurants or bars for a while. I wasn't really drinking. I kind of was like sober-ish for about six to eight months after the accident. I mean, like sober, sober for a few months right after. But even when I started drinking again, like my relationship with alcohol was so different because I would have one drink at a dinner and the next day I'd have headaches all day long because that was my main post-concussion symptom that lasted for about a year and a half was a headache almost every day. And I would come home and just cry Mm -hmm. because I was like, I miss the fun version of me, quote unquote. And I remember going for a walk with him one day and saying like, do you resent me? And not that he ever made me feel this way. It was internalized that I was projecting onto him. But I said, do you resent the fact that I'm not the person that you have been dating your whole life and proposed to? Like I have changed a lot. I want to go home at 10 o'clock now. And I don't want to get drunk at the bar all the time. And obviously there's more to our relationship than that. But like, you know, we'd spend all Sundays at a bar watching football with all of our friends. That was part of our thing. And he was like, I can't believe you would even think that like this does not change anything to me. But it was a lot of stuff that I was emotionally unpacking with just like my personal change that I then was putting on to him and feared. And I just struggled with the idea of like, will I ever feel normal? And I think that that had a lot to do with it is that anxiety is so wrapped up in a lot of things for me, but my health is a main one of them and feeling quote unquote broken is a big thing for me. And this accident really made me feel broken because I would just cry every day of like, when will I feel normal again? And for me, not obviously there were other things in my life that I missed, but like that was such a clear, I'm not my normal self because I can't go out to a bar and have fun with my friends. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to feel like a normal 27 year old and do the things that I used to be able to do with the people I loved. Mm -hmm. And so that was one main thing that I personally had to unpack. And, you know, before I got pregnant, I'm in a place where I'm able to handle things, but I also have never in my life been one to succumb to peer pressure. So I'm fine being sober and going out and I still have a great time. I'm finally now able to be in places with loud music. That was really the main thing. It's not that I felt I had to drink. It's just I couldn't even be in a bar right. whether I wanted to be sober or not. Sorry, neither of you got to say goodbye no. to that person and that relationship. It just happened. Right. I had no control mm-hmm. again. It just happened to me. And then emotionally, I think that he is probably more grateful for the way I am now because I'm way softer to people, including him. But he was also like kind of hard exterior, competitive, intense. I obviously don't like to share as much about him as me because it's not my story. But, you know, he struggled with things like anxiety and he would come home and he didn't have the verbiage for it. He wouldn't call it that, but he'd come home so angry about the littlest things. And I'm like, oh my God, your Uber was late. Who the hell cares? And 
I've softened him in ways yes. where, you know, he meditates every single day. I think it's the sexiest thing in the world. This morning, he's like, all right, I'm going to go do some yoga. I'm like, who are love you? It. I love you. Yeah. So he still is very much, you know, the obsessed with sports, guys, guys, right. frat boy Joe. But he has a very soft side to him as well that I think we've just evolved together. Yeah, the with. accident got you three new things. It got you a new you, <laughs> a new him, and a new you together, which absolutely could have gone in a lot of different directions but I think it's kind of beautiful that it went there and now you know you've got a, a very successful it's funny calling it a food blog I know that people call it that and you I know call I it don't that. call it a food whatever not really I say now like I'm a content creator because I like don't even talk about food anymore I feel but like you I'm do so have good recipes lifestyle. and you can you know bring <laughs> us there but yeah like we we come to your page and we love it and on your website you have a great quote that says I make a conscious effort effort to show you the truth of my health journey without a filtered lens in a world that feels too curated and inauthentic. I'm challenging the status quo and setting the record straight. You don't need a pristine kitchen or a perfect blowout with a full face of makeup to make a delicious meal. And, you know, I think that that hits for me when I see your content because you had this opportunity to then step into being an influencer and a blogger and you could have followed a blueprint and the blueprint is, yes. you know, hey guys, you're all asking about my skincare, you know, full <laughs> face. And I'm saying this teasingly, not mockingly because. No, but it's true. But like you think, OK, <laughs> put on your hair and makeup and do the stick where, you you know, you show the product with your hand behind it, you know, the whole blogger spiel. Yeah. I'm kind of showing it to you. And going into this new market where you have to be successful because you want to be successful, you could have followed that blueprint. But instead, you literally showed up with your freckles, you know, covered in freckles, said, <laughs> this is who I am. And you continue to do so. And I, I really want to just nail this point home because you help me shake sometimes from, oh, I have to do all these things. I have to, you know, have curated feeds or curated this. And you being newer to the industry being like mm -hmm. f that reminds me of like lisa be yourself like that's what you're good yes. at which i do know but i forget sometimes because eh, this is the product and you know the whole right because of what we're seeing because of what we're and we seeing. feel like we have to do that and i think for me when i started this account as i mentioned i never thought i would be an influencer and i still struggle with that term because of what it's associated with in the world in general when you think of a typical influencer i don't feel I relate to that. Listen, I've always been a tomboy at heart. Like I wore boys clothes up until fourth grade. I own like three things of makeup. I think sometimes when I hear people say this, it's like, oh, you think you're so cool. I don't. I'm jealous of people that like really care about hair and makeup and clothes. Like my younger sister, like she always will look 10 times better than me. She will always look more put together. I'm always jealous of what she looks like. But in talking with my therapist, it's like, but you don't care about those things. Mm -hmm. So like, why would you push yourself to try to care about things that you personally aren't drawn to? I think everyone That's just needs to take are. a moment and hear that message especially because I know like a lot of people just left cities and moved to suburbia where what's important right. might have shifted, at least in New York. I know that's the theme and it's important yes. when blending into a new area or a new life if you moved or you go to college or, or a new work environment to say, what do you care about? Be 
because it's easy, you know, our need to belong is so high. And maybe in your, mm-hmm. your family, you know, you see your sister and you, and she looks so pretty and put together and you think that's what you need. But to say, wait, who am I? Do I care about those things? Because I can get swept right. up into it also. And that's why you got to come back and check yourself. I want to ask you a question and it's really random. But for the yes. sake of time, I want to kind of pivot for a second. You wrote about this on your blog and you got into it, but I don't know if you realized how interesting it was. But you took a criminal justice class in college. Oh, yeah. Can you tell us about that class? Because it's unlike any other class yes. I've heard. Changed my life. One of the reasons why I loved Lafayette College so much is that the courses were just so it. different. And yeah, going to a small school, it was 2,500 students, a small C1 school out there. This class was my senior year. I was like, you know what? It's senior spring. I had upped all my credits leading up to this. I was actually like in you know, brag, but a great student. I cared so much about my performance. There's nothing that you're going to do that you don't get A pluses on. So we know that about you. (laughs) Thank you. And I didn't want to take typical classes. I was like, it's my last semester. I want to do less. I'm in a class and listening to a teacher speak. And this class I had always been interested in, but it's really hard to get into because it was a small course. It's only like six students and really only goes to seniors. And it's with this teacher, Dr. Bonnie at Lafayette. And you basically enroll in a class. It's a small group and it's called Women in the Criminal Justice System. And we would go for every class. The course met once a week for three hours. And you would go to the local Easton prison, which was like 10 minutes away from our school. And we would go into the minimum security women's unit and we would meet. I remember the first time we went, we took a tour of the prison, which was very eye opening Mm -hmm. through the male and the female wards. And we walk into the like kind of I forget what it's called, but almost like a rec room where in the minimum security, the cells are around the exterior, then the tables are in the middle where they can, you know, play cards and they eat their meals and there's a TV. And then there's this side room for like, quote unquote, activity. And we walk in and she's like, okay, guys, go ask who wants to be in the class. And we're like, wait, excuse me. She's like, yeah, yeah, this is up to you. And she does this every year. So she has a report like, Mm -hmm. you know, the people who have been there for a long time know her. And she's like, yeah, go. So we walked around to the tables and we were like, hey, we're here to, you know, we're going to do this class. Who wants to join? Some women are like, rightfully so. What the fuck are you doing in here? Some women are really interested. We end up getting a few. And the whole concept is that we're all students. We are not teaching these women anything. We're learning together. And Dr. Bonnie is teaching. Mm -hmm. And we refer to ourselves as outside students. And we refer to them as inside students. You are never allowed to use the term inmate, Mm -hmm. prisoner, you know, any of that. And you're never allowed to ask what is happening. You know, you're not allowed to give full names or ask full names. And you're never allowed to ask why they're in. If they share that during the session, that's fine, but you cannot ask. And the course is really, I honestly, it was like my first introduction to group therapy. That's the thing I can relate it to the most. We would sit around in a circle once a week and we would have assignments to read pieces, typically about the criminal justice system, specifically women. And then we would all just reflect. And I became like really close with some of these women. And at the point of the last class, I was hysterically crying, leaving, hugging these inside students, like wishing that I could stay connected with them. But there's a very strict rule that you're not allowed to have outside connection even after the course. I mean, it forever changed my perspective on so many things. And it's one of the reasons why I am very outspoken when it comes to the criminal justice system and what's happening and police reform and Black Lives Matter on my platform because they're all intertwined. And 
I mean, it, it shaped so much for me on the way that I reflect on my life and my privilege and what it's brought me and just what other people live and how different our lives can be and how that can really change the outcome of things. It's the coolest class. And I love how you still call them inside students. What did you say? What was the? Yeah, inside yeah, students. You know, yeah. you didn't leave there and be like and refer to them as inmates. Like the language actually changed how you saw them because you saw them totally. as human beings. And I think that that's just... What a genius and interesting school class. And the reason I also brought it up and you've said you were so vocal and you are vocal on your platforms about these things is, you know, it's very natural for you to speak about things that matter. And I'm sure it comes with a tremendous amount of backlash that most people don't see. And, you know, you certainly have the thick enough skin for it while also being a softie, as we all (laughs) know. But I do want to know, do you think that politics are in your future or criminal justice in some way? Oh, my God. Hell no. No. No, no, no. I feel so dumb when I talk about anything politics okay. related. I have this vision of you enough. somewhere there. Really? Maybe it's law. I don't know. So I'm just, I'm going to mark your words on that. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. I mean, so it's interesting you say that because I actually was very close. Then I got pregnant and things changed. But I was very close to enrolling um, for social work. So I did talk to a ton of people wow. about programs and looked into different programs because it is something that definitely interests me. Politics, not at all. Criminal justice reform, definitely, maybe later in my life. And my sister is very, very involved. She's on a board for a program called Get Out, Stay Out, which is GoSo based in yeah. New York. Yeah, oh, my I follower the... works there. My, my, she's oh, a really? friend. Yeah, follow. I call her a follower to, cause to preserve her <laughs> privacy, but she'll listen to this and Amazing. know who it is. Yeah. So I actually had the founder, or not the founder, but the current CEO on my podcast mm-hmm. just to speak oh, more about that. the program. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's definitely something I'm very interested in in a future life. Definitely. Politics, not at all that. Yes. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> Heading into some fun questions. Because you're a freckled yes. foodie, what is your favorite or most used, let's say, kitchen appliance? Let's say most used. Oh, my goodness. I would say like the number one thing is our coffee machine, mm. but I don't really, I just hit a button. Oh, my cast iron skillet. Oh. Or grill, a grill. Sorry. A grill? It's not in a kitchen. A grill pan? I love grilling. Oh, the, the no, barbecue. Like actual grill. Yes. yes. You are, Sorry, a barbecue. Yeah. You are a big, you're a big griller. Okay. Any brand we should look out for? I don't even know what my dad has. It's not mine. I wish I could have a grill in New York. Are you kidding? It would be my dream. A grill is a grill. That's, that's your go-to. I hear it. Okay. <laughs> and do you think that everything happens for a reason? You kind of answered this one in the blog. I don't think everything happens for a reason because I think if you are someone listening and you're going through something really awful, mm-hmm. it's hard to be like, this is happening for a reason. And oh yeah, you can say that because nothing terrible has happened yep. to you. I do think that there can be a positive made out of every situation. So while I don't think everything happens for a reason, I do think that you can turn every situation into some type of positive learning experience. True. Love that. And if you were a tree, what type of tree would you be? An oak tree. And that's so easy for me to answer when I listened to your first episode and you asked that. I was like, oh my God, don't even have to think about it. Only because it's my mom's maiden name. Oak? Oaks. Oaks. Yeah, oaks with an S. And my mom is one of three girls. Between the three of them, there are nine grandchildren. It's eight girls and one boy. We are incredibly close. There are 60 text messages a day in our group chat. Are, including our grandma and my Cute. grandpa, Wilbur Oaks, is the greatest man who's ever walked this earth who passed. And I was blessed with the middle name of Oaks. It really, you have a very cool name. I, I kept it when we got married. I dropped my maiden name. You should get that out there because then you won't come up as a killer. Oh, that's true. Cameron Cam- Oaks yeah. Rogers. My personal account is Cam Oaks Rogers. Oh, I'm going to follow that. Yeah. 
See what's yeah. going oh, on I over never there. Post. Literally nothing. It's like, here's our puppy, Charlie. <laughs> 10 photos of him. That's all that's there. All right. Well, I took a lot of your time and it's been so excited to speak to you and Heartbeat Rogers. I got two people over there. <laughs> Thank you for everything that you do for opening your heart and telling this story because I think you're just an inspiration for all of us. You're an inspiration for us. I so, so appreciate you and everything you're doing. You know how much I love you and how much I've always admired you. So thank you for all of your work. Thank you. And all of Cameron's info will be in the show notes. So check it out. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. During the Right Rug Flooring Hello Summer Sale, you'll find savings throughout the store, all backed by the right price guarantee, including carpet with a lifetime stain warranty, only $159 installed with pad. That's right, $159 includes expert installation as soon as tomorrow. Visit rightrug.com, R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com to find a showroom near you or schedule a free in-home shopping appointment. Say hello to summer and save. Right Rug Flooring, right here, right now. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.